0: Colossians chapter 1. Let's turn there, please. Colossians chapter 1. Now, I'm just going to say outright that I'm not, uh, I don't apologize for the pace that I'm taking through this particular chapter, chapter 1 of Colossians. But I, I, I want to explain it because I believe it is, it is imperative for us to realize the importance of establishing a tremendous Foundation of, of, of the doctrines that that Paul is presenting to this young church as he, as he prepares to explain to them uh, the issues of false uh, teachings that are that were rampant in the church then coming in through uh, primarily through three avenues uh, you know the the Jewish legalism the Greek philosophy and the eastern mysticism of the time why is that important to us because the same things are are in the church today and it's a sad thing that we have to deal with that only because many churches have in fact put aside the word of God and don't trust in the word of God as they should so here we are with the word of God open I hope and pray amen I'm ready to study god's word as he desires for us to be prepared and ready to give an answer to every man the hope that lies within us paul here now is praying but he's doing more than praying he is also instructing in prayer Last week, we looked at at, at Paul's perspective on prayer, and it was something that he was also wanting the church to approach prayer with God's perspective in mind, not the world's perspective, but God's perspective, looking at things from, from God's point of view. What we're looking at today would be verses 12 through 14, which would now include praise, as a part of his prayer but as he was also praising the Lord he was teaching the church to praise the Lord for certain things so that's where we are here today and I want to begin reading again in verse 9 which is the text that we began with last time where Paul says for this cause we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Having focused our attention last time then on Paul's perspective on prayer and his prayer for perspective in verses 9 through 11, we now look at another aspect of the apostles' prayer life, and that was, of course, thanksgiving and praise thanksgiving and praise in fact when you look at Paul's many prayers as expressed in his letters to churches and individuals you begin to realize that his prayers quickly moved into praise and just like his petitions and his supplications which we touched upon a little bit last time his praise focused primarily on spiritual rather than physical and material blessings Although he would certainly give thanks for all things. He gave God praise. If you remember, I said that there were things that Paul didn't pray for. But the things that he did pray for gave tremendous thanks to the Lord for. Now, if we were to summarize in a few words the text that we'll be looking at today, verses 12 through 14, our, our summary would be in two parts. The first part would be that the apostle gave thanks for certain blessings that are non-forfeitable. In other words, they, they can't be forfeited because they are given to us by the Lord at the very moment that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died to make them ours. But secondly, Paul was praying also that this church in Colossae might grow in their own thanksgiving to God. So consider, if you will, that that Paul prayed unceasingly for them, for these things. And again, this is review, but he prayed unceasingly for them, that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and understanding, that they might walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, that they would be fruitful in every work, that they would increase in the knowledge of God, that they would be strengthened with all might, according to his power and to all patience, (coughs) excuse me, and long-suffering with joyfulness. So if he's praying for that for them and wanting them to pray for these things, it follows grammatically then that Paul would include in his prayer for them that they would give thanks to the Lord. So it wasn't just Paul giving thanks to God, he was saying, you need to give thanks to God. If you are to be strengthened with all might, if you are to be fruitful in every good work, then give thanks to God. Especially for three specific blessings that we find in our text today. Paul was was certainly thankful and filled with praise for these things and wanted this young church to be grateful for them as well. And by the way, this passage here prefaces or introduces one of the greatest passages of scripture ever written. The passage... That reveals the supremacy and sufficiency of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's for next week. So the first thing that, we're, that uh, they were encouraged to give the Lord thanks for was this. That the Lord has given us an inheritance. The Lord had given them an inheritance. He has given us, as believers in Jesus Christ, an inheritance. Verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, the first thing that Paul really wants us to thank the Lord for is for making us new. Now stop and think. He wants us to thank the Lord for making us new, for remaking us. This is the reason why he says in the text, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us. He has made us fit Is usually what I say is the word meat here, fit. But we're going to dig deeper into that one word in just a moment. We have to understand that God has to remake us. Because of the fall of man in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, something was lost to us and something was left to us. What we lost in the garden was paradise because of sin what was lost was paradise and consequently what was left to us was a fallen nature so we lost paradise and we inherited a fallen nature the Lord would not restore our lost estates without first dealing with our lost and fallen condition our lost and fallen condition has to be Changed before we regain paradise. Why? Because if he only regained paradise for us without changing us, then we would lose it again. And we lose it again and again and again. This is the reason why we're not saved by works. This is the reason why we're not saved by the things that we do. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. So we had to be made new. And so Paul had written, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, a, a verse of scripture that every believer needs to memorize. And know. therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, the wonderful thing about being a believer in Jesus Christ is that it doesn't matter how old you are. You're still new. I mean, you could be really old. And you could be really young, but you're always new. Because you are eternal now, in the sense that you are eternal with God, with Christ forever and ever. All things are become new. We can wake up in the morning as believers in Jesus Christ. We, well, okay, so we might have a little creek here, a little creek there, uh, or, uh, you know, whatever. But once we get going, one thing is for sure we know that we're new in Christ. Don't ever think you get old in Christ, you just get old in your body. But you're not worried about that. Why? Because He has promised you a new body. Amen? New. Paul in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now we're getting to the nitty gritty about the very fact that we need to be remade. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We've already died Spiritually. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to sin. We have to die to the world. That is why we identify with the death of Jesus Christ for us. Because the perfect one, the one who was without sin, died on our behalf. We need to identify with him. And this is what Paul is saying here. Know you not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. As we are making this public confession of faith before people, We're, in fact, speaking about the thing that happened to us. Because it says in verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, put into the water. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We come out of that water. The whole picture is we were dead. Our sins were remaining there in the grave, in the tomb, in the water, as it were. But we came out walking in newness of life. That's the significance of of what we do by being baptized publicly so people would know. That inward work of God in Christ in us. Because we were dead spiritually. But now we've been made alive. New creatures in Christ. The old passed away. All have become new. And this is one reason why Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. He identifies with the cross. We should identify with the cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's an important aspect to what we're going to learn the, the church is, is, is dealing with uh, as far as the Gnostic heresies are concerned. Paul says, I, 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 though I'm in the flesh, he says, with, uh, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm still in flesh, but one thing is for sure. Who I am has been remade. A new creature in Christ. The old has passed away. And what Paul is saying in our text in verse 12, going back to Colossians 1, is that through the Lord's plan of redemption, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That that through the Lord's plan of redemption, God makes us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. The word that Paul uses for meet here is the Greek word hikanu. Hikanu. Uh, H-I-K-A-N-O-O, for those who like to, you know, keep the scorecard. Hikanu It occurs only here and one other place. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, and I'll get to that in a moment. But it literally means to enable. It means to make efficient. It can also mean to make someone or something qualified or sufficient. So it's a, it's a, it's a powerful word. That he has made us fit. He has made us enabled. He has qualified us. He has made us efficient and sufficient. For what? To be partakers of the inheritance. When you add the words in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, the other place where the word Hikanu is mentioned, notice that it says, who also has made us able. That's Hikanu. Made us able. Able ministers of the New Testament as it goes on. But that's what it says. He has made us able. He has made us sufficient. He has made us qualified. He has qualified us. And, and really that's the better understanding here. Because the, uh, the understanding would be that God has made us able, qualified us, and enabled us to be partakers. In other words, we were disqualified in Adam at the fall. When Adam fell... Everyone born from then on, what happened? We were all born into sin because of that initial sin, because of that first sin. Everyone was born in sin except one. Jesus. (laughs) Is this a test? (laughs) Jesus, (laughs) the only one that didn't sin, (laughs) was not born in sin. So we were disqualified in Adam at the fall from handling our inheritance. We are now qualified, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. We are now qualified to handle our inheritance in Christ. But to do so, he remade us. He made us new which hath made us meet to be partakers. Made us. One good way of seeing this is by considering the difference between the prodigal son's going away prayer and his coming home prayer. You all know the story of the prodigal son, for the most part. I hope you do. Here was a, a son of a wealthy blessed man he was the younger son there were two sons one the elder of course would be the one to receive the double portion of the inheritance and if there were only two sons then the youngest son would receive one portion and the other would receive two so it would have been divided you know in thirds but two would go to the elder son and and one would go to the younger son and the younger son comes to the father one day. And this was his prayer. If you, if, if, if you don't mind me calling it a prayer for just a moment. Because in Luke 15 verse 12. It says the younger of them said to his father. Father give me. You know those two words. Give me. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. In other words give me my inheritance now. Give me what is supposed to be mine now. And he divided unto them his living. Now, a very selfish, very selfish uh, request, a very selfish prayer. Give me. Because if you understand the time and, 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 and the culture, he says, Give me my inheritance, because as far as I'm concerned, to me, you're dead. Because that's the only time that inheritance would be given. And the father would be dead. How painful that is. So the prodigal son would take his portion. And he would go out and spend it on, on, on his own prodigal living as it were. Wasteful, selfish living. To the point that when it was all gone. And it was probably a pretty good portion. But when it was all gone. He ended up. In a pig farm. Living among the pigs. Made him unclean. Eating the things that the pigs ate. Because that's all he had left. And he came to a census. As many people do when they've lost everything. And he thought to himself. What could he do? In Luke 15 verses 18 and 19. This is what he said he would do. He said I will arise and go to my father. And will say unto him. Father. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy. To be called thy son. Now notice his prayer. It's no longer give me, it's make me. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore, but if you'll just make me a slave or a hired servant, at least I'll know that I'll be well kept. Well, we know what happened. The father who had daily waited to see his son. would had never forgotten his son. Would look out on the horizon each and every day to see if he would see his son. And one day he saw him. Out on the horizon. And the father did something that was so uncharacteristic of a person who was of great wealth and of, of great reputation. He He ran which means that he had to have lifted his, his robe and, and, and girded it around his waist or else he held it and he just ran. And there he goes, his skinny legs exposed to the people all around him. And everybody's going, what's he doing? And he runs to his son who's coming with this desire to ask him to pray, you know, or ask him to make him a hired servant. And instead, before he could even get a word out, the father embraces his son. Kisses him. Mm. Coming from a pig farm, he's unclean and stinky too, I'm sure. But the father didn't see that. He was going to make him, not a hired servant, but a son who had died and is now alive again. A son who was lost, but is now found. And he kissed him, and he put on shoes and a robe, and he gave him his ring. We marvel at the change already produced in him And that the response of the father to his son who was once dead and now alive, that was us. That was each and every one of us who has come back to our creator. What the Lord has done for us through his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has remade us and has equipped us to to enter into a bright and a shining inheritance. Partakers, it says, of the inheritance of the saints in light. Or literally in the light. For indeed we once lived completely in the darkness of this world. The word that the Apostle Paul uses for light is the word phos. P-H-O-S. Phosphorus is a word that comes from that particular root. But false light is, is absolute. It is an absolute light. And, and the word false is, is, is the very opposite of darkness. It is the very opposite of darkness. The primary reference here is to our spiritual blessings as believers that enable us to live for God in the darkness of this world, not to mention the wonders of heaven that await every believer. Why? Because when we get to heaven, the Bible says there is no darkness. There will not be any night. There will always be light, the light that shines forth from the very throne of God. And it is a light that will be forever. And by the way, you know, we don't need night anymore. So don't think that just with all this light, it's going to be a boring time. We don't even know what we have coming for us. What we're awaiting and what's awaiting us. In the presence of Almighty God. God is to be our eternal home. Christ is to be our eternal home. Which means that our inheritance has no need of natural or artificial light whatsoever. And do you know that the Apostle Paul had seen this light? He had actually seen this light. Acts 26 verse 13 There before King Agrippa, he's giving his testimony. And he says to him, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. He saw that light. A light that was incomparable here on this earth. And when he Gives his testimony to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 1 through 4. He says, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Do you know that he's speaking of himself here? He's talking about himself. But because he's not there to glory in himself. He takes the the light off of himself for, for a moment here. He says, I know a man. Or I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Even to that day, he didn't know what it was and where he was, but he knew he was in the presence of the Lord. And then he goes on and talks about him some more. He says, such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man. Of course he did. It was him. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul is saying, I saw this light and I've seen this place. Why God chose to do that for me, I don't know. All I know is that I am still The least of all the saints, and still the least of the apostles, and less than the least of all believers. Now, the similarities between this letter to the Colossians and Paul's letter to the Ephesians should be noted here. I've mentioned that they're similar. But today we begin to look at the similarities. For in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. Paul had written to the church in Ephesus and said, In whom also, speaking of Christ, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Notice the wording here. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What is it sounding like? It's sounding like the very introduction to the book of Colossians, isn't it? In whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And then he says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest here is just simply a, a down payment. But it is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And of course, the praise of his glory, glory has to do with the light of Christ. The second thing now, that was the first thing, that we are to give thanks to God for the inheritance that he has given us. The second thing that we're to give thanks to the Lord for is this, that the Lord has indeed delivered us from the power of darkness. Colossians 1 verse 13, where it says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now take note of two things concerning the power of darkness. First of all, the kingdom, the, the power, I should say, the power of darkness indicates that there is a kingdom, a realm, <clears throat> a world of darkness. That should be something that's not new to any of us here. If we pay attention to what's going on in the world today, we realize this world is in darkness functions in darkness depends upon the darkness and for its own purposes needs the darkness and darkness means just what it indicates a person is unable to see understand and know all the things that god said will be revealed to us in the light of the glory of christ a person is unable to see in darkness, understand in darkness, and know in darkness. Picture this, a person trying to walk and stumble through a world of darkness. Most of us would have to say, I don't have to picture it, I lived it. Because those who go through that experience, they can't see or understand who they really are. Where, they're, where they come from, where they are, where they're going. This is the very situation of natural man. The man who has not been delivered from the world of darkness by God. So man has received uh, certain information, you know, that the the enemy is so glad to to bring through secular humanists and... and, Godless educators and all that says, you know, you, you, you know there's no God. I mean, you, how, how can it be possible that, that God created the, you know, the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days? No, no, no. We've evolved for millions and billions of years. You know, there's evolution and all of that. And, and in fact, we you know, how big everything is that, that we just live on this little blue dot called earth, you know. And, you know, when the light goes out and we die, we just die and that, that's it. There's nothing else after that. And people have believed that. And so what are they living for? A green planet. Is that helping any? We'll save the whales, but we don't save the babies. See the mindset? Darkness. Unregenerate man does not know why God created him. For the most part, they don't believe that God created them. But if they ever thought about it, they would not know why God created him, what God has planned for him. Unregenerate man doesn't know where he came from, that his origin truly is from God, the God who created him. He doesn't know where he is, that the world was made by God, and that it has an eternal purpose and plan. He doesn't know where he's going. That is, that he's an eternal being who is to live either forever in the light of God's presence or in the darkness away from God's presence. And that for an eternity in darkness. The darkness is the realm in which the unbeliever lives and moves. The world of darkness is a kingdom in rebellion against God. And the darkness came to this earth in Genesis chapter 3. And Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes Darkness. Now, very literally, that just means you were for a time in darkness. The time you came into this earth and into this world. But now you are light in the Lord. You're light. Believer in Jesus Christ, you are light. Even Jesus himself In Matthew 5, it says, you are the light of the world. A city upon a hill cannot be hidden. You're light. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. God God has called us to be fruitful, but here we find that we sometimes associate and fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Darkness will never have fruitful works. Fruitful works that will matter for an eternity. Fruitful works that will matter in somebody's life forever. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, rebuke them. <clears throat> too often in the church, we're beginning to believe the, the, the world, you know. Well, do you believe that this is a sin? Do you believe that that is a sin? Well, you know, I don't want to judge anyone. Well, I mean, Jesus didn't, didn't Jesus say, Judge not, lest you be judged? Well, Jesus also said, You shall know them by their fruit, which requires something. You got to judge, you have to judge fruit. I would like to judge a fruit before I eat it. It might look pretty on the outside. It might be very rotten on the inside. The very fact is, there are some things that are abominations to the Lord, and people today are saying, I don't want want to get involved. That's what's happening today in the church concerning the issue of homosexuality. God said it was and is an abomination to him. So what are we going to do with that? We're not called to be the judges in the sense of bringing judgment. But we are called to stand on truth. You know what is said of Jesus in John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5? In him was life and the life was the light of men. His life is our light. And the light shineth in darkness. And notice this. The darkness comprehended it not. This is the reason why a few verses later it says. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him. To them gave he the right to become the sons of God. To as many as believe in his name. All of that is connected to this very light that shines in darkness. Later on in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, words that can be attributed to Jesus himself, it says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, for the most part, man does not want light to expose his his deeds to the world. In other cases, they don't even care. But no one loves the light that shines upon these particular uh, sins. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. They are produced in God. So, So getting back to our text here. It is the Lord who has delivered us from darkness. It is the Lord who has delivered us from darkness. Uh, It it tells us, uh, the word delivered there is erusato, to, to rescue or to snatch from. He has rescued us from darkness. That is the reason why we should not take it lightly that God has taken us out of the world and put us into his kingdom. Even though we're still in the world, we're not of the world. He has delivered us Rescued us, snatched us from darkness. And he's also done one other thing. He has also translated us or transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So he has taken us, snatched us out of darkness, put us into the kingdom of his dear son, which is a kingdom of light. And by the way, the word translated there in the Greek is the word methystemi, which means to be transferred or carried away. So he's carried us from one place into another. And folks, if, if we realize this with all of our sincerity and all of our hearts, I don't want to go back to the darkness. Something's wrong when we like like, we, well, I like the light over here, but... There's something that... Hey, folks, hey... In the flesh, there's something attractive in the darkness. Right? But as believers in Jesus Christ, to know the price that was paid to get us from one kingdom to another, don't want it. I've had enough. And our flesh will be tempted day by day by day. He has removed us, in other words. He has removed us from Satan's sphere of darkness. And has put us into his own kingdom of light. And for this, we should praise the Lord and give thanks to him daily for this very The third thing that we're third thing <laughs> that we're to thank God for okay is that the Lord has redeemed us and forgiven our sin verse 14 of our text in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins There were rivers rivers of blood that flowed from the sacrifices of Old Testament times the rivers of blood that flowed from all the animal sacrifices that God had told his people need to be sacrificed in a certain way and at certain times and yet And they could know this, and we should know this. These rivers could never redeem people from their sins. Obedience is what mattered. Heart obedience is what mattered then. But those rivers of blood never could redeem people from their sins. The apostle put it this way in in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, Verse 1, it says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come. That's what the blood was. That's what all these rivers of blood were all about. They were were shadows of good things to come. The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, notice, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. Those who came and brought the sacrifices never make them perfect. We all know that a shadow of a meal could never satisfy the hunger of a starving man. And hence, the the shadow of Calvary could never redeem a sinful soul. Just the shadow. The shadow of the cross could not do it. It was the cross itself. It was Jesus on that cross It was Jesus who had suffered, who had been beaten and placed upon that cross with nails, uh, you know, the the, uh, nails in his hands and his feet, the the crown of thorns on his head. But the shadow of Calvary could not redeem a sinful soul. But the shed blood of Jesus Christ does. The shed blood of Jesus Christ does, in fact, result in redemption. It results in the Lord buying us back. The simple understanding of what redemption is. I've talked about it many times when I talk about green stamps and gold gold bond stamps. How many of you remember those? Okay, a few older people here. Don't worry, I've been there. I used to lick those stamps for my mom. My tongue was about this long. Whew. I used to like it when they came out with the bigger stamps. You, know, you only need three for a page instead of you know, 20 or whatever it was. <laughs> then my mom discovered a sponge. Mom! <laughs> Uh, keep using your tongue, huh? Okay. You take that book of stamps to a redemption center and you could buy things. Got a Bible. One book. Got a Bible. Buy something. You pay it. Consider the price of our salvation. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. Not to be taken lightly, is it? Secular psychology today, as well as contemporary social philosophies, rather than consider the sinfulness of man and the need for God's forgiveness from the guilt of sin, never really offer answers to the problems of sin and guilt, except to persuade the guilty to shift blame to someone else. That's the big thing going on today, is shifting responsibility. Besides, no one wants to talk about sin and guilt today anymore. We want to talk about tolerance. We want to be tolerant about everything. Well, yeah, tolerant except for uh, being tolerant uh, toward Christians, being tolerant toward the word of God, being tolerant toward Christ. Uh, There's no tolerance for that. Don't forget that. Don't forget that that's the way the world is. They want us to be tolerant of them, but they won't be tolerant of us. They'll only be tolerant of those who will lay aside the word and say, well, you know, we'll, yeah, we don't judge. It's not about judging. It's about righteousness. And there's no righteousness without the shed blood of Jesus Christ applied onto our very lives. You know, the humanist of today knows nothing about the law of sin and death because it doesn't want to know anything about the law of sin and death. Paul in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. Words that should be grand words for the believer in Jesus Christ. Especially the first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. And notice the personal touch of Paul. Hath made me free. From the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life. In Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do. In that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice not in sinful flesh. But in the likeness of it. You could see Jesus. You could touch him and all. But he was without sin. Sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin. Condemn sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Sin, guilt, death. There's a progression here. Sin, guilt, death. A very basic and comprehensive explanation for human behavior today. And actually for all time. Can there be an answer to it? The answer is actually quite simple. Let's consider the world's view for just a moment and say that the answer is really simple. Shift it all to someone else. Shift it all to someone else. In this case, shift it on someone else name Jesus and take his life in exchange for I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. The great exchange. Our dear friend Bruce Carroll. Who comes and sings for us from time to time. Sings that great song. The great exchange. That's what it's about. The world is so quick to shift responsibility. Well you know what. Take your sin and guilt and shame. And shift it. To Jesus Christ all of us have who have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior this is the reason why we can have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins and who can forgive sins ultimately but God only even he can forgive only on the basis of the shed blood of Christ and once again Paul in Ephesians writes this And in fact, I'm going to close with this. But it's a long passage, so don't think that you're leaving right away. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, In whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Sound familiar? You see, when you look at the book of Ephesians, you're looking at a book that was designed uh, to give doctrine and application In a simple way of of examining the whole book of Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians is all doctrine. The doctrine of what Christ came to do for us in him is a very key phrase of the first three chapters of Ephesians, but the chapters 4 through 6 is the application of those doctrines. Colossians is a much smaller book, but it contains much of the same doctrine as we notice here. Uh, close to much of what we're seeing in Colossians now Paul is laying again the doctrine down for the Colossians so that they might be ready to give uh, answers to these issues that they're having to face the challenges of of false teaching and and the Gnostic heresy which we are going to come to pretty soon so in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace the riches of his undeserved favor toward us, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Uh, It's almost a a repetition of the the greeting and salutation of Paul to the Colossians. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, and now notice this, verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Now I know that we're repeating what we read earlier, but it's okay. Repetition is a good teacher. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, and don't forget, God has seen the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the very thing that he says to the Colossian church, that he was so excited to know that they had trusted in the word of truth and the gospel, in whom also that after that you believed you were sealed, with that Holy Spirit of promise. And he speaks of them knowing the love of the Spirit. And then he says, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Unto the praise of his glory. Until the redemption, the full redemption of every believer. This is the reason why we are saved. We were saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. We are waiting for that day to come unto the praise of his glory. The Lord would have us to pray from God's perspective and he would have us to praise for God's great and awesome works. And every believer should take hold of these principles of prayer because there is much for us to give thanks to God for. Much for us to give God praise for at all times. It's like the psalm that says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let that be you today. Amen? Amen? Let that be all of us here today. Father, we thank you for your mercies and your goodness. We thank you so much for what you have done when you set your only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to come to this earth to die for us, to do that one thing that we could never do for ourselves because we were in sin. We were in the kingdom of darkness. We, Lord God, did not understand light the way you want us to understand it today. So we are thankful and we are blessed to have this privilege of sharing, Lord God, your word and for having your word to proclaim and to testify to for what it has done for us and what it continues to do as we wait for the return of Jesus Christ, as we wait for Jesus to come and to gather his his bride together and to take us home. Father, I pray for those who need to know these things who have sought these things and now Lord is able or are able to <clears throat> give thanks to you for the understanding that you alone can give through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the, state of the strength of your word. Thank you and we bless you and we praise you. And I pray for those Lord God who need you right now. May they cry out to you In their hearts and say, Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. And I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. and Believe in my heart that he's risen from the dead. Thank you, Father, for this work that you're going to do today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shall we stand? (coughs) Excuse me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, give you peace. After the song that we're going to sing in, in dismissal today, I would just encourage you, if, if, if you're not sure of where you stand with Jesus Christ today, I, I just want you to come. Just come up to the front after the song and somebody will come up and, and, and pray with you. And encourage your heart to follow after Jesus. The one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The starting line and the finish line of our faith. Everything begins and ends with Jesus. Everything in this life. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today.